Hi, I'm Kristen. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm really looking forward to exchanging more ideas about astrology and pop culture and where they intersect. So I had prepared a different pod for this week and it just intuitively felt off. So I'm shelving that episode for now and we'll get back to it soon. So instead, I decided to sit with the pod for a few more days and figure out what to do next. Like so many people, I was completely consumed by the news round Titanic and the submersible imploding. It was so incredibly sad to think that the wreck has now claimed another five lives. And I've thought about whether or not to address this story and whether it was appropriate to consider pop culture. Ultimately, I had a genuine curiosity around it and maybe others do too. So my intention here is for all of us to learn together and I by no means want to make light of a tragedy. That's not what this is. It's simply looking for answers. Looking for answers as to why and whether or not this was fated and as a way to pay tribute to all of those who have died in and around this shipwreck. So everyone in this story was on an adventure of some kind, whether we agree with their reasoning or not. It does, however, leave a number of questions around whether or not it's even appropriate to go there. If it is, if so, who should go down there and for what purpose? It was just a really strange week. It was strange to witness an oxygen countdown. It was strange to learn how communication and the ocean works. It was strange to bring the story of Titanic back into the zeitgeist in a way that it really hasn't been in some time. All of these elements have added to at least my personal confusion of landing on a side of right or wrong in this story. On the one hand, it's essentially a watery cemetery where now 1,522 souls perished. That alone feels like sacred, hallowed ground that isn't meant to be disturbed. And for a moment, I wondered if the implosion damaged the integrity of the existing wreck and how strange of a concept that is as well like a preserved disaster. It seems to be intact, I guess we'll find out. Then I got to thinking of the exploration of it all. That idea of pushing the limits of our planet, our personal selves, and whether or not those limits are in place as a safeguard or a challenge to us as humans to keep exploring beyond. I personally don't know and can't judge anyone based on what they felt a deep calling toward, whether that's outer space travel or the deep ocean or climbing Mount Everest. I don't think I would do any of those three, but I do know that there is a sense of wonder in all of us. So while I was sort of romanticizing and glorifying this idea of human exploration, the idea of hubris and the myth of Icarus flying too close to the sun then came to mind. Perhaps we are not as in control as we think. Thus, the inner monologue and the introspection continues. If anybody has any input, I would love to hear your thoughts on all of this. So all of these different ways of exploring brought me to think of the parallels between space and the sea and how these two dark and strange places work in tandem with one another on a daily basis. And isn't it strange that we know endlessly more about outer space than we do our own oceans? We seemingly have a million ways to communicate on land, and the only way we can communicate underwater is through sonar and banging a hull? It feels like a strange dichotomy. So in the spirit of the idea of, quote, strange, 
Let's get back to the basics to set the stage here. In conversations all the time, people will say that they don't quote, believe in astrology, even though there's nothing to believe in, or that it's woo-woo or ridiculous. And to that, I say, the moon controls the ocean, the tides. If we are 60 to 70% water, there is no way that we are not affected as well. And to further prove this point, this is why we call lunatics, lunatics. The full moon tends to have a very strong effect on our psyche, whether we understand it or not. One of the talking heads on the news this week, he said, quote, if you think outside the box, everyone inside the box thinks you're crazy. I was like, cool. So go forth, my little aliens. There were a few moments this week I was reading and watching the news in general, and my mind went to astrology, as it does. And it seemed like the ocean in general is having a bit of a moment between the migrant boats in Greece, the orcas attacking boats in Portugal and Spain, Iceland banning whale hunting for three months, suggesting perhaps the end of its practice, then the Titan imploding while 13,000 feet deep down in the ocean. It all seemed a bit unusual, let's say. And when those strange sort of coincidences seem to appear in life, I think many of us turn to astrology for answers. In this case, I believe it has a lot to do with Saturn in Pisces, but we'll get to that in part three of this podcast. So hold that thought and let's get back to it. In researching this, I found that there is so much astrology tied to Titanic already, and I'm excited to figure out a way to weave all this info together to better understand the energies at play. To start, astrology is a wisdom tradition. None of what I'm saying are suggestions that the stars caused any of these things to happen. And of course, it's much clearer in hindsight, and that's kind of the point. So what we can do is look at events now in front of us or in history, the placement of the planets in the sky, and figure out where there are patterns. It's all about patterns. Astrology is not a religion, it's not a crystal ball, but it is a compass and a map for us. However, the journey is our own. So together, let's turn to the stars to help explain why this tragedy continues to haunt us in a way, why we're so captivated by this 111-year-old story, and whether or not there is something celestial to it. Millionaires don't use astrology. Billionaires do. J.P. Morgan, owner, RMS Titanic. So yeah, J.P. Morgan is a pretty big deal and character in the story of Titanic. So not only was he the owner of the ship, he was very much a student of astrology. And had J.P. Morgan stuck to his plans of leaving Europe on April 10th, 1912, he would have gone down with his ship, Titanic. And that's not to suggest he didn't get on the ship because of astrology, but we do know that J.P. Morgan did work extremely closely with an astrologer named Evangeline Adams, and she helped him with significant life and financial decisions based on the cosmic climate. So J.P. Morgan clearly was not an easy sell, and it's reported that he was initially skeptical of astrology before becoming a student of it. And once he was, he reportedly kept Adams close, paying her 10 grand a year to give him astrological advice through charts and to determine the best atmosphere for his investments. 
And we'll get into all of those details in a moment, but just so we know who we're dealing with, J.P. Morgan was born in Hartford, Connecticut on April 17, 1837 at 3 a.m. Eastern. This makes him an Aries sun, a Virgo moon, and a Leo rising. A lot of fire for one Virgo moon to try to contain. He was a quintessential Aries, motivated, self-starter, determined, and he acted on his strong instincts. So for better or worse, Aries tend to act on impulse, instinct, whatever you want to call it. Aries tend to make foolhardy decisions or take foolhardy risks, essentially leaping without a net. And in the tarot, the fool card is number zero, and it's associated with Aries because they are, as we mentioned last time, the babies of the zodiac. They don't carry that same fear that's been acquired throughout all of the other signs, and they tend to approach life as more of an adventure than a puzzle. It's unclear how much of an impact astrology had on J.P. Morgan's life. We do know that he looked to it seriously as a guide. And like other tycoons of the Gilded Age, he took risks and calculated those risks using unconventional methods, which to me is cool. But then again, it's not unlike the actions of the explorers who perished this week on the Titan. So I think we need to keep that in mind when we're saying, you know, well, I would never do that. I wouldn't either, but that doesn't mean that they're wrong. So let's get back to J.P. Morgan and his relationship with astrology, starting with his quote, millionaires don't use astrologers, billionaires do. It's repeated all the time, especially in astrological circles, and it seems to have initially come from his astrologer Evangeline Adams' 1926 autobiography, The Bowl of Heaven. She writes, I do know about the late J.P. Morgan's belief in astrology because, well, because I taught it to him. I read his horoscope many times and furnished him during the last years of his life a regular service explaining the changing position of the planets and their probable effect on politics, business, and the stock market. No further proof of his interest in the sciences required beyond the fact that he renewed the service from year to year. So yeah, she's pretty cool. Even if J.P. Morgan did use astrology, it's not like he owed his success solely to it. He was born into a wealthy family, he became a partner in a successful banking firm by the time he was 35, and he went on to make additional fortunes in railroads and steel all before the turn of the century. So we're not entirely sure when he met Evangeline or when it became sort of a standard practice for him. It was likely that he already had tremendous financial success and she was there as reassurance or perhaps a guide for a less certain future. Morgan had a couple of interesting placements. He has his Sun, Mercury, Venus, and Pluto all in the second house, which is essentially the house of Taurus, of money-making, possessions, material earnings, expenditures, and luxury. So it's often said that Tauruses or those with strong second house placements genuinely love to work and that their success is born from a natural inclination to build bigger and stronger. And I really think we see that with him here. And he really did have a terrific money-making potential. We see it in his chart and did a really great job of fulfilling those innate gifts, just like we talked about in episode one and two. 
Another interesting placement in Morgan's chart is having Uranus in Pisces. Uranus being the planet of surprise, the unexpected, and Pisces being the sign of dreams, very watery. It could imply two things. The first is that he would have naturally been intrigued by astrology and metaphysics, which we know he was, and he never spoke of it publicly. How very Pisces in their hidden worlds. <laughs> two, it implies a life-shattering unexpected event related to the ocean. There's Pisces, i.e. the sinking of his unsinkable ship. And we can get into this deeper if it's something that you are interested in, but for now, I just want to touch on the basics. So Morgan's Midheaven, his MC, or his career placement, is in Sagittarius. Even more fire to add to the recipe. So Sagittarius is ruled by Jupiter, the planet of expansion. It's drawn to what expands their consciousness and what stimulates their soul. And they influence others to be drawn to similar adventures, um, mentally or otherwise. And Sagittarius has an excitable, bewildering, contagious energy, as well as a desire to tap into the philosophical realms, which is something we can now clearly see in his chart and in his use of astrology as a money-making tool. Oddly, or perhaps not, archivists at the Morgan Library are said to have no documents proving his study of astrology apart from receipts, which is really all we need. So another interesting and collective energy to note is that Mercury went retrograde April 5th, 1912. This is a time where J.P. Morgan would be advised against travel and the likelihood that things will either break down or need to be replaced. And while this could seem like a basic interpretation, and it is, it really is about mishaps related to energy exchanges. Mercury retrograde gets a bad rap when really you just have to start with the words that start with re. It's time to revise, rethink, refresh, recalibrate, and in perhaps this case, reschedule, should you feel an inkling to. Legend suggests that Evangeline was behind J.P. Morgan's decision not to board the Titanic on its maiden voyage that took off for America on April 10th. Others credit his mistress for occupying him. We'll never know for sure. And I guess that's the fun of it. I hope this helped explain how astrology has played and continues to play a role in our society and in popular culture, whatever that means for the time. And in part two and three, we'll touch on what was happening in the night sky on the night the Titanic sank in 1912, and what's currently happening astrologically that could speak to these bigger, collective, and seemingly meaningful experiences. So, until next time, thanks!